Do you believe that you can trust your church leaders? Do you believe that you can trust your church leaders? Uh, for those of you that uh, know my story, I grew up in Southern California, and a number of years ago, I was out there for a visit, and I had a childhood buddy that I grew up with, and uh, usually every time I go out west, I try to make it uh, a point to get to him. And just like it, the conversation will uh, eventually go when you meet up with an old friend who you've had a lot of history, you've lived a lot of life with, uh, the question necessarily comes up, how are your folks doing? So as I was talking to my friend Stephen, I asked him, hey, what's going on with your parents? How are things? And he begins to tell me a story about how his parents are more or less in financial ruin in the golden years of their life. Uh, they had uh, come to know a pastor, and again, I'm filling in some of the details here because it's a story I heard a little bit ago, but uh, my friend Stephen, his parents met a pastor who actually was pastoring in Africa. Uh, they saw him on TV, and they started following his teaching, and they started listening to his messages, and uh, before you know it, they reached out to this pastor that they watched on TV, uh, and they inquired of him. This pastor began as much of a personal relationship as you can have with somebody on separate continents, uh, far different time zones, but they began a relationship through email. This pastor, or at least so-called pastor, told my friend Stephen's parents that he was a prophet of God, and if they wanted to follow the Lord in obedience, uh, they should listen to every word that he had to say to them. He went on to prophesy over them and let them know that God had told him uh, if they would be willing to sow a seed, if they would be willing, uh, whatever dollar amount they gave to him and his ministry, God himself has promised and God himself has made it clear uh, that they would receive back whatever they could more than ten times. Uh, they weren't asking just that uh, my friend Stephen's parents would begin to tithe to them, that uh, they would be generous and they would make a donation here and there. They were saying, listen, you can't really go wrong with this. Leverage everything you have. And that's exactly what my friend's uh, parents did. I know some of the things, I know they cashed in their retirement. Uh, taking major penalties from what they could have collected. I know they took a second out on their house uh, to get as much as they could, and they sent it to essentially what amounted to being a thief and a con man, and once he got their money, he disappeared away from their lives. It's an incredible day, and it's an incredible age that we live in talking about giving money in church. Can we all just admit, this is a, a sensitive discussion. This is something that it's a pill that maybe is not the easiest pill to swallow. And can I be the first to say, uh, man, am I nervous to preach this message to you all. You can Google wealthiest pastors uh, in America, and you'd find immediately, it takes about one second for the search to come up, there's over 10 pastors right away whose net worth is over $80 million. Excuse me, $8 million. That zero is important. Uh, there's net worth is over $8 million. Uh, when surveyed, the people of Westerville, when asking them about uh, what are some of the spiritual uh, hiccups that you have, what are things about church that it's just hard for you to wrap your mind around, 
can you guess what the number one hurdle that the people of Westerville, right here in our own community, said that they have when it comes to church? Money. They believe that pastors cannot be trusted because what pastors want, they only care about getting my money. That's what uh, pastors care about. So, as we are in between books of the Bible, as we are wrapping up our first year of ministry and looking and preparing and seeing where God is leading us going into our second year, we're taking time to talk about hard things. We talked about gossip last week. We're talking about giving this week. Hold on to your horses because next week we're talking about sexuality. Uh, So we're talking about hard things, and today we are talking about giving because it's something that I believe God cares very much about. And if we truly are going to be a church that is about the gospel, that is about Jesus Christ, then we too will care about this. So from the text that we just read and the multiple texts throughout all of Scripture that we are going to be looking at this evening, here's the one thing I believe God does want us to know tonight. Our God is more generous than we can ever be. Our God is more generous than we can ever be. And we're going to expound on that, and we're going to look at that tonight by looking at these three points. Talking about giving, we're going to look at the foundation We're going to look at the call, and we are going to look at the gift. The foundation, the call, and the gift. Those three points this evening. So the very first point that we're going to talk about, uh, what is the foundation of giving? Or to put it in a different way, if we truly are skeptical, and you know, uh, uh, the question is this, why should we give anything uh, charitably, especially the church? Why should we give? And I believe there's multiple answers in Scripture. I don't know if there's any specifically just one, but I think this is the one that is given more often than not when we look at the entirety of Scripture. Why should we give? What is the foundation for our giving? Gratitude. We should give out of a grateful heart. And that's what we see right here in Deuteronomy 26. So the book of Deuteronomy, the people of God, they've been led through the wilderness for 40 years. Before they were being led through the wilderness, God showed up, and with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, He redeemed them. He saved them when they could never possibly save themselves. He brought them out of slavery, and He made them, uh, as we just read this evening, a treasured possession a nation who was a slave nation who didn't amount to hardly anything. God said, you are my crown and jewel. You are my prize. I love you. I call you. You are mine. God did this. And before they were getting ready to receive the inheritance that God had promised to their forefathers years and years ago, they're standing on the other side of the river that they are soon to be crossing, and they're remembering They're remembering how God worked. They're remembering uh, the the sufferings that they endured. They're remembering where they had come from. They're remembering why they are here, and they're reflecting on where they are going. And that's the context here. In Deuteronomy 26, God is giving them a vision. I made a promise to your forefathers years ago, and that promise is about to come to its fulfillment. You're going to cross the river Jordan and the land that I promised your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the land flowing with milk and honey, it's going to be yours. 
And this land, boy, is it something else. When you work it, it is going to yield uh, everything that you need for life. It is going to give you everything, everything that you could ever want or dream or imagine. But remember, remember who gave this to you. And in order to help you remember who's the one behind all of this, who's the one that gave you this amazing gift, in order for you to remember, I want you to give back to me 10% of the yield of the land. Or if we were to say it this way, hey, when you move into this new area of life, when you move to this new city, you're going to be getting a paycheck like you have never received before. But I want the first 10% so you can remember, you will always know I am the one who gave all of this to you. I've told this to you before. We must pay attention when we read Scripture if there is repetition. Uh, and there is repetition that we do see here in Deuteronomy 26. Yes, the people of God are called to give. Yes, God gives specific instructions. But by and far, uh, the verb and the repetition that we're paying attention to here, it's the Hebrew verb natan. It's used over nine times in Deuteronomy chapter 26, talking about uh, to give, who is the one that is doing the giving? God is. God is the one who makes it abundantly clear He is generous. He gives to us everything that we have in life. It comes from Him. And so for the people of God at this time in redemptive history, yes, are they called to give to God? Absolutely. But the foundation here is laid out. You don't do this to earn God's love. You don't do this so that you may be right with God. No, no, no. In Scripture, God is always the initiator of relationship. He's the one that redeemed them. He's the one that blessed them. He gave to them first, and then He calls them to give. Why do we give? We give to the Lord because we're thankful for all that He has given to us the foundation, the why. Why would we ever give? Again, the answer is because we're thankful. It's so a story Presbyterian Church. I ask you that. Are you thankful? Are you thankful for what God has done to you? Scholars look at Deuteronomy 26, and when they hear what, what the, the people of God were supposed to say, uh, verse 5, a wandering Aramean was my father, and then it keeps going down. Scholars refer to this as the little credo, this was the ancient Israelites' version of saying the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed. It's their remembering all that God had done on their behalf. Do you remember? If you were to write your own creed, if you were to write your own story out, what would it consist of? What would it look like? I thought I was good and righteous and I could make God love me by what I did until I got married and realized I'm not that good at actually is it I was a slave? Maybe I wasn't a slave literally in chains, but I was a slave to debt. I was a slave to sex. I was a slave to drugs, and Jesus came into my life, and He redeemed me. What would your story be? What is your story? Can you remember? And then when you hear that God does care about giving, and that He does even call you to give, can you give from a grateful heart? gratefulness, being thankful for what God has done to us. That's the foundation that I believe Scripture tells us why we give back to God. That's not all, though. We're going to actually get into the nitty-gritty. We're going to get into the specifics. So, okay, God 
calls us to give to Him. So second point here, really specifically, as we look at the call, we're going to ask the question, uh, how much does God want us to give to Him? How much does God want us to give to Him? You guys ready? Because I'm going to give you the number. 100%. You guys were worried I was going to say 10. 100%. Romans 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You see, we are going to talk about numbers, and I'm, you know, I am doing a little bait and switch here, but I do want to make it really clear. If we started off and we just said a specific fiscal number, we would be missing the whole point. God cares about all of you. There's not a breath in your life that you have ever took that God did not care about it, that God was not working in your heart and in your life, that God did not have a purpose for it. God cares about all of you, not just 1% or 5% or 10%. He cares about everything you do. He cares about every thought you think, every dollar you spend. He cares about 100% of it, and when He looks at you, He says, mine. He told the old uh, ancient Israelites that, you are mine. You are my treasured possession. In 1 Peter, we're told that he gives us the exact same name. You and I are also a, a royal priesthood. We are also a treasure unto the Lord. 100% of who we are, whether it be our thought life, whether it be what we watch on TV, whether it be how we speak to one another, and whether it be the money that we give when we, when we put in the offering, God cares about 100% of it. Yes, we're going to get specific here when we talk about uh, fiscally and financially, what does God, how much does He want us to give. But if you think, oh, as long as I write a check or as long as I give and I cover the amount that we can specifically identify, then I'm good with God. He doesn't care about the rest of me. We're missing the point. He cares about 100% of who you are and your life. What does God call you to give to Him? 100%. How much of your paycheck does God want you to give to Him? So, uh, I'm going to give you specific Scripture examples. Um, and yeah, let's go ahead and talk about this. So, how much does God want Christians to tithe? Getting really, really specific here. I do believe God wants us to tithe 10%. Where do I see this in Scripture? Lots of places. Uh, I'm going to give you one place right now that I'm going to go ahead and read for us. Uh, Leviticus 27, verses 30 through 32. We can, I'm going to read that, but we're also going to re remember Deuteronomy 26. So here we go. Leviticus 27, verses 30 through 32. Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees, it is the Lord's, it is holy to the Lord. If a man wishes to redeem some of his tithe, he shall add a fifth to it. And every tithe of herds and flocks, every tenth of an animal, of all that pass under the herdsman's staff, shall be holy to the Lord. Again, we live in a time and in a society that's very different from the ancient Israelites. So again, I like to refer to it of, uh, as your income, as your net worth. You know, what do you fiscally bring in every month? God wants us to give 10%. 
I think that's the way that we can look at it. We see it here in Leviticus 27. We can see it um, in the book of Exodus. We can see it in Deuteronomy 26. We can see it, frankly, throughout all of Scripture. God calls us to be generous with all that we have. The two words, the two Hebrew words that really kind of come into discussion here, it's the idea of the first fruit, so the Hebrew word uh, rashit, and then tithe, the Hebrew word aser. So tithe, we can literally translate to 10%, but it's not even just 10%, you see, because we have this idea of rashit, which is first fruit. So again, the ancient Israelites, they're going to receive this inheritance. They're going to receive this land that God himself has given them. And then God has promised that it is going to be bountiful. When you plant food in the ground, it's going to come up and it's going to be incredible. When you raise cattle, they're going to produce and you're going to have most of them. And again, so that you remember, where did all of this come from? Why do you have what you have? I call you to give me rashit. I call you to gi- I call you to give me the first fruit. In other words, the best of the best. When you have a yield, if there is say it's corn, you're going to find the best pieces of corn, the ones that are unblemished, the ones that don't have any issues with them. They're the largest ones, and you're going to give them to me. And this is going to be an act of faith. This is going to be an act of hope. This is going to be an act of trust. I'm going to make this slightly more personal in just a second, but I want to make sure this point anyways, we're drinking from a fire hose. I want to make sure we move on. It's clear. It's clear, I believe. We could look at the Old Testament. I believe it's clear we could look at the New Testament. You don't think God cares about ties in the New Testament. Uh, We could look at the story of Ananias and Sapphira, and I beg to differ. Now, again, that's not necessarily about tithes, but I think the principle is the same. God does care. And the number that I believe he gives us is 10%. But here's another really, really important question. To whom? To whom should we give our tithes? Does that mean we could donate to uh, the Red Cross? Does that mean we can donate to uh, other charities that we believe in their mission and their purpose and and what's out there? I got to say, if you look at this, if you look at what Christians through the ages have had to say, uh, it's debated. Uh, There are many Christian pastors that are out there today that believe um, your tithe can go to any person that you want to, whether it be literally the person on the street uh, or whether it be your church or, or however you distinguish you want to divide that up. I don't think that's biblical. I do believe that God has made clear that tithe, this 10%, the first fruits, it goes to him. In the Old Testament, how that was done, it went to literally the dwelling place of the Lord. I'm not going to read it to you because we have too many. If you're taking notes, we could look at Exodus 23, 19, 34, 26, Deuteronomy uh, chapter 12, verses 6 through 11. But we see, again, the people of God would have given to what was the equivalent of their local church. Now, were they called to be generous with everything that they have and to actually give above and beyond even more than 10%? Of course. So, practically, I do believe when God talks about this idea of giving and generosity, when he talks about specifically the first fruits or the tithe that we have, I do believe that he is asking us to give to our local church. I want to address one objection 
some people would say, and rightfully so, the most where I go to in Scripture to say that God not only wants you to give 10%, but to your church 10%, uh, they would say, you know, well, it's in the Old Testament, and, you know, we're in the New Testament. Uh, it's, it's different now, right? Do we actually have to do that? First of all, the Bible is one continuing story. Uh, the divide between old and new is actually, you know, not nearly as significant as some of us want to make it. And then when we look at the New Testament, if it is one continuing story, uh, there is no command in the New Testament that something has changed. You're not going to find anywhere in the New Testament saying, you know, stop tithing now. That's not how we're going to do this anymore. Uh, I don't need you to have a grateful heart anymore. I don't need you to be generous givers anymore. We don't see that. We see the principle remains in the New Testament. There's a, a pastor and I loved how we talked about this. Let me read uh, this pastor, J.D. Greer. Let me read to you what he has to say. If anything, the gospel raises the level of our response to God's laws. True obedience, Jesus says, goes much deeper than the behavior standards the law requires. For example, the law says don't murder. Yet Jesus said the gospel demanded that we love our brother always and not hate him, not even our enemies. The law says don't commit adultery. Yet Jesus says that the gospel demanded people not even look on another woman with lust in our heart. So if the law says give 10%, what kind of generosity does the gospel call for? Would it not be greater generosity than 10%, just as the other commands were also intensified in Christ? In other words, if the people who saw God's generosity in the Exodus responded with giving 10%, how much more should people who have seen the cross? This is why you see the early church giving far beyond 10%, so overwhelmed by the generosity of Christ. They wanted to pour out their possessions for those who are in need. I've said some hard things. I've said some things that, from I'll be completely honest with you, most of my Christian life, I really, really struggled with it. When Amy and I first got married, we kind of went back and forth. Uh, how much should we give? How much shouldn't we give? Um, and it took us a while. It took us a while before uh, we could look at our finances and say, yep, we are giving 10%. There was lots of different reasons for that. Um, Lots of different reasons where we said, you know, well, we couldn't afford this. Uh, we wouldn't be able to get as much food as it takes to feed you, Justin. Uh, we could keep going down all the different excuses that we have. But I say this, and I say this with caution, and I say this almost anecdotally. Guys, it's, it's so worth it. I mean, we can look at places like Micah, and we can see the promises God has made where he says, listen, put me to the test on this. God doesn't say that very often, and that's a really specific instance, and I don't think he's primarily talking about uh, financial wealth here. But God says, put, us, put him to the test, give to him what he has called us to give to him, and watch how he will bless you. And we've been so blessed. I'm going to be honest, by most of you guys, by the generosity that you guys have shown us, and when we weren't sure how, what Christmas presents were going to look like, you guys gifted us. When we weren't sure what, frankly, our, our check would look like here at Story Presbyterian Church, you guys at this point in a church plan, it's unheard of, over 60% of our budget is met by your tithes and your offerings. You guys get it. You guys are generous. 
This, I'm not, this sermon does not come because I think, oh, you guys are struggling and I need you all to pick it up. That's not the point of this. But this is a message in Scripture that I do believe that you need to hear. So here's some practical wisdom. When we look at what God has called us to give and whom God has called us to give it to, drinking from a fire hose, here we go. Here's what I think we need to do. We need to ask ourselves this. How does God want me to spend the money that he has gifted me? Remember, it's not just 10% that God cares about. It's 100% of who you are, of what you have, of what you do. He cares about all of it. So here's a few questions that we try to ask. Do we actually need it? Is there a wiser course of action? Does this bring glory to God? These are questions that I think are good questions to ask before we think about how we spend our money. So here we go. Let me go ahead and put a caveat on this. Beautiful houses, dressing nice, a new car, the latest technology. When we ask ourselves the questions, do we actually need it? Is there a wiser course of action? Does this bring glory to God? I believe for every single one of us, the genuine and truthful answer can be yes and can be no. I think it depends on the circumstance. I think it depends on our heart. And I think it depends on, you know, what is our motive behind all of this. I'm not trying to say you're not supposed to have a nice house or look nice or, or, or have things that you need in the culture and the society that we live in. I'm not trying to say that for one second. But I am trying to say we should view the money that we have uh, as God's money. And therefore, I think if we start with the question, is this how God wants me to use the money that he has gifted me with? I think that helps. I think that's a good starting place. If you're really struggling with a decision, grab one of your friends, one of your friends here at church. Come grab me. I'll talk you through it. I need to see your W-2 and your tithe thing first. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I will never ask those things from you. I will never ask those things from you. If this is a new idea to you, if this is a new principle to you, if you're doing calculations in your head right now and you're thinking, oh, you know, okay, so this is what we bring in a year, and that would mean this is what it would look like for us to give this to a church, and you feel overwhelmed, you can't imagine how you could possibly do that, listen, I get it. Uh, even when I was in ministry, even when I was in seminary, I wasn't doing this. I understand how difficult and, and, and what a big step of faith this seems like at first. So here's what I would say. Start somewhere. Start at 1%, and then say after six months, I'm going to see if I could go to two. After a year, I'm going to try to get to five. Start somewhere, and just give and see how God works in your life. If you are giving, uh, because God wants us to be generous with all that we have, I think we always, you know, need to be asking that question. What does it look like for us to continue to grow in generosity? God calls us. He calls us to give 100% of who we are to Him. As we give ourselves to God, may we be generous with all that He has given to us. Final point giving, the whole topic of it, uh, how much we give, who we give it to, uh, when we're generous, when we're not, what gen all of it. I think it all comes into clarity, really, when we can have this vision, this understanding. Everything that we have is a gift. Main point three, 
James 1.17, says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Psalm 135, verses 5 and 6, makes it abundantly clear that God does whatever He pleases. And Deuteronomy 10.14 tells us, Everything that is in the earth belongs to God. You see, there's lots of reasons, I think, why uh, it is hard for us to give. For me, at least a thought that I've had is, you know, I work hard, right? I work hard for what I have, whether it be uh, being with people when it's in a hard time in their life and they need to talk through it or, or whatever it looks, and I'm sacrificing for you, God. Uh, I've legitimately had this thought before, but God makes it abundantly clear everything that we have, it's a gift and if we could view it as that way, God has given us this gift, and it's not ours to begin with, it's His, but we are called to steward it and steward it well, well, it changes things. It makes things a little bit easier. I think another reason why it's hard is, again, it's, it's imagining, well, if we don't have this anymore, uh, we'll go hungry. If we don't have this anymore, what will we do? How will we ever get by? And a friend of mine, he, he gave me an illustration this week, and I thought it was really, really good. We view our money, we view our finances, we view what we have almost as it's, if it's an apple pie. And for the sake of math, let's make it simple. It's an apple pie with 10 pieces, and we eat 90% of them, and we have that one piece. And somebody says, hey, can I have that piece? And we act like, oh no, if I give this one piece up, then I won't have any more pie. But here's the reality and the truth of the matter, our father's a baker. And I thought that was such a good way of thinking of it. Sometimes we don't want to give stuff away because we think then we won't have it. And what about our bills? And what about, you know, uh, charity begins at home, does it not? Again, we act like we don't have enough when we have a God who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and He loves to give to His people. He loves to give to His children. And I am going to caveat this because I don't want you to think walking away here, if I increase my tithe, you know, magically I'm going to start getting more money coming into my house. It's not what I'm saying. Look at the Christians in Africa. Look at the Christians in Eastern Europe. Look at the persecution that's going on in China. That's not the, what I believe God ultimately is promising when He says He will open up the floodgates of heaven and bless us. I think what He's making it clear is as we give to Him, as we trust Him, He gives us the greatest gift of all. He gives us Jesus. We started talking about uh, the whole thing that we need to learn, the whole perspective that we need to have in mind. Our God is more generous to us than we can ever be. He gives us good gifts, and the greatest gift that He has ever given us is Jesus. John 3.16 itself, it says this, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever should believe in Him may not perish, but may have eternal life the saints throughout the ages. And I believe, knowing you guys and your generosity in your hearts, I believe that you know this here tonight as well. Jesus is greater than anything we can ever have, greater than the most luxurious home, greater than the best cars, uh, greater than a million-dollar bank account. Jesus is more valuable. We can't put a name. We can't put a number to it. Yet God was willing to sacrifice His only Son 
He was willing to give Jesus up for you and for me that we might be reconciled because God, as we sang earlier in the song, he didn't want heaven without us. You are valuable, but Jesus is of most value. Yet Jesus, who is of most value, says, I gift myself to you. Would you trust me? Would you trust me to meet your needs? Would you believe that I, that I can satisfy you in ways that mammon, that money, that material wealth, that things never can? Will you be willing to follow me? Jesus, God, our God, is more generous to us than we can ever be. May we see the generosity that he has poured out on us, and may we too be generous with all that he has gifted us with. Let's pray.